Hello everybody and welcome to the GMS Magazine RPG Interview Podcast. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and uh, this is a podcast all about interviewing the cool people in the RPG world. Today I have with me Victor Jason Raymond, somebody who is behind one of the first RPG settings that has really fallen into oblivion pretty much because it's just a few of us who actually remember it and remember it fondly i mean everybody who remembers it remembers it fondly because it was absolutely brilliant it is absolutely brilliant i'm talking about tecumel the work of professor barker and a really really interesting setting that has seen several interactions has got an insane amount of richness that the author left behind, including a few novels that are very, very well worth reading. And yet, it seems that no one has been able to give it the push, the oomph, the, the version it actually deserves. And Victor is very passionate about it, for reasons that you will discover during the interview, and hopefully will make you as excited about Tecumel as I actually am, and, um, well, I really hope that you guys get interested in in this, because it's, it's very, very good, trust me, it's very, very good. But listen to the interview, see what Jason has to say, and um, hopefully, hopefully, uh, we'll see you in Tecumel. I'll see you after the interview. Victor, welcome. Welcome. Oh. Uh, it's, it's absolutely fantastic having you here because I haven't really spoken to you ever before apart from chatting in Facebook and typing. Hello. Hello. It's great to be here. Gosh, I'm I'm really excited uh, for exactly the same reason. So <laughs> thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I, I should have done it a lot sooner, so I, I will publicly apologize for this. Um but uh, I, I have you here because we're going to talk about Tecumel um, <clears throat> and and uh, the, the worlds of um, Dr. Baker and what you're doing with it. But I don't know um, how many interviews you've done in the past. I know that you are a university professor on something really interesting, that um, you, you have an offload of material for class that I could possibly record a few episodes with you. But I don't know how good you are at answering questions. So we're going to do a warm-up to make sure that you can answer questions. Um, All right. So I'm, I'm going to give you five uh, very simple questions, and then we'll start with the interview. So um, first simple question. Tea or coffee? Oh, my. Uh, mm, coffee? Okay, that's fine. There's coffee. No, oh, coffee. Coffee. Yeah, good. There's no wrong or right oh. answers here. That's just coffee. Good. All right. Uh, the beach or the mountain? Oh my, that one's tough. Um, I'm going to go with the mountain. Okay. Mountain. Uh, not that I have anything against beaches; they're lovely. But I actually, I really like the the active aspect of uh, climbing. Uh, 
not falling, uh, <laughs> and looking out and seeing the amazing vistas that you get on top of mountains. Okay. So there you go. Um, wine or beer? Oh my goodness! Uh, uh, I'm going to say wine. Okay. Uh, and not again, not because I don't like beer. I do like beer. Um, it's just that um, I I think I enjoy wine just a little bit more. Okay. So there you go. That's fine. Um, fantasy or science fiction? Uh, hmm. Hmm. Science fantasy. There. Oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. Okay, and last question. Uh, cars or motorbikes? Oh, motorbikes. Oh, okay. That was easy. Wow. Okay, yeah. well, these were the five easy questions. Now, let's talk about um, Tecumel and the Tecumel Foundation. Um, so sure. let's let's start with, actually, wh what is the Tecumel Foundation and what do you guys do? Foundation. Uh, uh, was uh, started, founded in uh, 2008. Uh, it was uh, started shortly after the death of Gary Gygax. And I, as a long-term player in Professor Barker's um, Thursday night group, uh, had gone to Professor Barker and said, Phil, what would you like done with Tecumel? Uh, now and uh, given what we saw with Gary is there anything you'd like to do when you're gone because he was getting older mm -hmm. and uh, he reflected on that and uh, decided that it made sense to have some sort of entity uh, to oversee the world of Tecumel to preserve and promote Tecumel uh, both when he was alive, because he needed help with that, and also uh, when he was gone. And so that's what we did. Uh, and that's what the purpose of the Tecumel Foundation is, to uh, preserve and promote the world of Tecumel, which is the creative legacy of Professor Barker. Um, you know, I, I like how, um, I mean, for, for me, Professor Barker is, is kind of an icon, um, because he, Man of Gold was the first novel I read when I moved to the UK in English. I've never read a novel in English before um, because I did my English wasn't good enough at the time. We're talking 1998. And uh, Man of Gold was a, a novel that my late friend Sam uh, recommended. And therefore for me, uh, Professor Baker has always been uh, a bit of an icon, you know, it's a bit of a wow, this, this man. I like how you so um, speak to him so nonchalantly, you know, hi Phil, how, how are you doing, you know? I've, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that familiarity <laughs> thing is absolutely fantastic. You, you knew him well then. Yeah, I, I have known Professor Barker, uh, well, I, I knew him from when I was 16. Yeah, 16 years old. Uh, and I started playing in his uh, group when I was 21. And I'm 55 now, and Professor Barker's been gone for a number of years, for about the past six years. Um, so I've really... I played in his group for... Um, 
there were there were a couple of gaps due to university, but uh, probably about twenty five years. Wow, wow, that yeah. is absolutely amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, tell me what what is so exciting about Tecumel for you? It seems real. <laughs> okay, that's quite something for a fantasy uh, world, isn't it? Well, that's that's the reaction that many people have to it after they've played for a little bit is that unlike a lot of other fantasy worlds where you know if you read the you know you read fantasy stories or you play in fantasy settings uh after a while you can sort of feel the stage flats you can tell where the boundaries of the world are that you know past the you know sorry past this you know it's under construction don't don't pay attention you know right uh, Tecumel doesn't seem to have that. That Tecumel feels like a real place. It has things that are knowable. Uh, it has things that are uh, that have depth to them. There are things that are uncertain. There are things we don't know about. And to the extent that Professor Barker was able to create that sense of verisimilitude, right? Mm-hmm. This this sense of uh, sort of fictive reality. Uh, what um, what Professor Tolkien would have referred to as subcreation. Then I think that's one of the big appeals of Tecumel is that uh, it's a place that's very much unlike our own, but in its own way, it has its own reality. I, I like that description an awful lot. Um, because I think you're right. I mean, when I was reading, you know, the 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 Man of Gold, and subsequently I, I read one of the role-playing games that came out a number of years ago, um, th- there was a sense of familiarity with with the whole scenario. You know, even though it has it has some very very alien concepts and creatures within it, mm-hmm. but it just somehow felt familiar. I don't know yes. how to describe it. You know, it, is, it was it was a very bizarre uh, situation. It was very easy to relate and empathize with the setting mm-hmm. itself, with the world itself. Mm-hmm. Yes, the aspect of Tecumel, which uh, I recall from playing with Professor Barker, was that we would go different places as our characters, and we would encounter people and uh, places and things. And it would seem as though that all Professor Barker had to do was close his eyes and concentrate for a moment, and then he would tell us everything that was there, who was there, what they were like, their personalities, their children, you know, if if we encountered them, right? Okay. And it was always different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is to say, or I should say, it was different when it was appropriate for it to be different, and if we encountered something that was the same, we began to recognize that, you know? So, uh, this I'm not explaining this very well, but what it would mean is that uh, Professor Barker would describe things to us, and, and, and we'd role-play interactions with uh, the different people. And they were all their own individuals, uh, from the lowliest village headman 
to the highest official in the Court of Purple Robes. They all were people with personalities and interests and drives, and uh, they were each in their own way unique. I think Phil was was remarkably good at conveying that. And it would get to the point sometimes of where we would encounter someone and we would end up being able to recognize them just from how Phil was talking, that we would be able to say, wait a second, wait a second, Kakesh, is that you? I, <laughs> I didn't recognize you. And, you know, go on from there, you know. Um, and, and so that, that's, a, that's a powerful thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, people think, oh, so every game session was perfect. No, no, we, we had our sessions that did not always work out the way we would have liked or, you know, they, you know, thing, you know, we were off our marks and, and it didn't always gel. Uh, but when it did, it was amazing. Uh, and that's, I think, what kept everybody in uh, Professor Barker's gaming groups coming back was that uh there was something amazing going on and we wanted to be part of it. Um, you know, and, and truth be told, you know, there were some things that Professor Barker would occasionally do from time to time and some players would sometimes lose interest. Uh, but that was pretty rare. Well, I can imagine coming straight from the wolf's mouth, the whole description, the whole thing had more, way more chances of being right. And interesting because something that Tecumel has is an insane amount of imagination and creativity thrown onto it as a setting, really. I mean, it's, uh, for, for those uh, listeners who, who've never taken a look at this setting, please do to take a few minutes to, to, to investigate it and research it a little bit. There will be some, some links in the show notes because it's, it seriously is unique. It's, it's very, very interesting. Um, what are you doing? from the uh, Tecumel Foundation to um, to develop, promote, or otherwise, uh, you know, get the game on, on, on the world out there? What are your plans? Uh, that's a, a complex question requiring a complex answer. Okay. Um, the, the most important thing that I think we're trying to do uh, at this point is to make TechML be accessible and to, to make it available uh, to people once again. Uh, TechML's publishing history is uh, a long and winding path of near successes and sometimes failures. And that's really unfortunate. But it's presented us with the task of how do we make this world available to people when uh, there's there's so much that's happened in the past that's almost made it. Uh, and so we do this in two ways. Uh, one of them is we, as the foundation, are making these older materials that have been out of print. Uh, we're slowly getting them back into print. Uh, so that includes Man of Gold, which is now available again. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, you can also uh, buy uh, the reprints of uh, the our original game, Empire of the Petal Throne, mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, TechML sourcebook and the Player's Handbook for Swords and Glory, which was the second TechML role-playing game. Uh, and we have some other materials available as well, and that's all available on DriveThru. So 
so making reprints available is one part of how we are doing this. The other thing that we're doing is we are licensing uh, other producers uh, to produce games for TechML and new material for TechML. And so that includes uh, Jeff D. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Unigames produce Baythorm, which is this really, really excellent depiction of the world of TechML using their uh, in-house game system, which uh, I think is a, is a really decent fit. It really works very well with TechML. And having played with Jeff and uh, Taljamir, uh, one of the things that I can tell you is they've got it. They understand it. They get it. And so Baythorm is a, uh, a great game to pick up. And I would recommend that. But I said that TechML was a setting, a world. Okay. And we think that one of the things that's ended up happening, in fact, I I can tell you this from direct experience, is that it is such a strong and robust and interesting place that what people have done is they basically adapted their favorite sets of rules to the world that is to say uh you know the sandy peterson many years ago did an adaptation for runequest uh other people have done them for fan adaptations for like the d20 system okay um so what we recognized as the board of the foundation was that this meant that we should not just limit ourselves to one set of rules uh but to try to make the world available to people who play in different ways. So John Till is working on a Fate of Tecumel game. Uh, And and I think that having played with John, uh, John, he too gets Tecumel. And so his Fate of Tecumel game, I think, is going to be a really great addition. Uh, and using the Fate system is going to be a way to get, make this available to folks. Uh, so uh, there, those are two sets of rules. Uh, there is a computer text-based game from Choice of Games called Choice of the Petal Throne that's available that people can go out and try. Uh, Daniel Godot did a really great job on that. Uh, James Maloshevsky has been producing the excellent traveling volume, and it's now in its eighth issue. He's working on the ninth. Uh, and uh, these are all you know, ways in which we're working with people to make TechML available to people once again. Why hasn't it been more um, successful and popular in the past, you reckon? I think the the biggest reason really boils down to that uh, game producers had a hard time getting their arms around uh, just the the sheer scale of TechML. And uh, having worked on some previous versions, uh, previous game uh, attempts... I can tell you that uh, the the world is bigger than you're going to put into one book. Yeah, I can see that. I, 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 I that may be blindingly obvious to our listeners, but no, really, it's it's bigger than one book. And I think um, at different times uh, there were probably some 
uh, how to say, less than stellar choices made. I don't want to speak ill of people who've you know gone before because they try they try their best, but uh, I think some of the ways in which Tecumel was presented uh, really didn't make it easy for someone to go out and pick up a book and go like, oh, oh, that's Tecumel. All right, I can do that. And I think it's that tension between how do you make a world this complex accessible to mm. people while still respecting that complexity. And and I think that sometimes I think they erred on the side of maintaining the complexity rather than uh, getting at the essence and letting the complexity develop. So how did you get to the essence of, of something like Tecumel? Because, uh, I mean, I, I can see what you mean, but it's not easy, is it? Yeah, uh, that's a secret I can't tell you. Okay. No, no, wait, no, 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 wait, wait. Uh, uh, actually, okay, I'm, uh, the, the real answer to that is I think that uh, people need to play Tecumel in order to get it. So you don't need to start with everything. You just have to start with something, whatever that something is that you can enjoy okay uh so the original game empire of the petal throne started with this notion of you're fresh off the boat you're southern barbarians who have arrived in the mighty city of jacala the city half as old as the world and from there you work on making your soliani better losing uh your your sense of foreignness and learning about this vast and complex society with its gods and hierarchy and uh, social interaction, right? And from there, going on and making something of yourself. Um, that's actually a really straightforward kind of game situation. Mm -hmm. You're a nobody. Now you get a chance to make yourself a somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and occasionally since then, uh, you know, there are Tecumel fans who say, no, you should be able to start right, you know, in, in Solyanu, you can play right, uh, you know, everyone knows what it's like to beat Solyanu. And I'm kind of like, mm, maybe. I mean, certainly the people who've played it for a while, they understand that. But for almost everybody else, the thing you have to do is you have to play the game in order to find out what the world is like. Professor Barker said this himself when he was alive, was uh, that if you really wanted to understand how Tecumel operated, you needed to go and play it. Uh, and uh, I think that's really true, uh, because there's more than enough there, even in Empire of the Petal Throne, uh, to go out and experience the world. You know, everything from the dark, musty passages of the underworlds under the cities where you can find ancient uh, undead mm. creatures guarding tombs to some of the occasional constructs of the latter times, uh, as well as also inimical, inimical species uh, and races that uh, do not wish humanity well. And uh, and do not wish humanity's allies well, and 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 more. You can do that, 
uh, you can go out. You can explore the world. You can go and uh, become a part of the temple hierarchies and work your way up through temple politics. You can become an imperial governor, should you be so successful, and do the will of the emperor in ruling the land. All of these things are there, but you don't get there by reading about it. You get there by doing it. What would you say are the strongest points of Tecumel as a setting, as a in terms of the society that Tecumel has built uh, within itself? What, what are the strongest points of that setting to uh, that it has to offer to to the to the player? Well, this may seem counterintuitive given how vast and strange I've talked about the world. But one of the strongest points about Tecumel is that all of the different things that you might want to do in a game in terms of you know, ambitions and uh, different goals for a character, you can do all those things. Uh, you can uh, explore all sorts of different stories within the context of Tecumel, and they're all there. So uh, you don't have to emphasize, gosh, wow, how alien the world is. You can emphasize that we're going to go out and make money. You can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it will be an interesting story in its own right for how to do that. Uh, if you want to go out, we want to gain glory and, and uh, achieve military victory. Sure, you can do that. We want to be pirates. You can do that. Uh, all of these things are possible but they're going to be possible with, within the context of Tecumel. So there's all of the stories that are possible. There's the strength of the background itself. And then probably the third thing is, again, that, that sense of verisimilitude that I was telling you about, was that once you experience Tecumel, uh, it is something that people often want to return to. They want to see what that's like. So what would you say is the most um, challenging aspect of getting to grips with, with Tecumel as a game and as a setting? I think the most challenging thing is learning how to limit yourself so you don't get overwhelmed. Right. There's a huge amount of source material. There's languages. Professor Barker constructed languages for the setting. And they're part of what makes it seem real, right? You know. Um, and And so I think people sometimes delude themselves into thinking, I have to read the Tecumel source book, and then I have to learn Soliani, and then I have to get familiar with the history, and then I have to go out and, and build you know, 20 levels of underworld, or you know, and I have to do all these things, and only then can I run the game. Stop. You don't need to do that. What you need to do is get familiar enough with the world so that you can run something, not that you need to run everything. Okay. The world will unfold, but probably the toughest thing is limiting yourself to what you can handle at the beginning, because that's what Professor Barker did. That's what people since then have done. The people that I think have the most fun with it recognize that and go like, okay, I'm going to get this bit, and then I'm going to go on. So... Um, for anybody who is a complete newbie to, mm -hmm. to, to Tecumel and they go and they say, okay, they'll listen to you and they say, yeah, this, this guy sounds interesting. He sounds like he knows what mm -hmm. he's talking about. What, what, which one of the products would you recommend? Where should they start? Um, there's a couple of different places that I would think about 
going to start. Uh, one of them is simply going back and getting the original game, Empire of the Petal Throne. That's available in a reprint uh, from Drive Through RPG. And the original game has, uh, now I may be biased when I say this, but I think of as having just enough detail in order to get you going. Okay. Uh, there's enough there. Uh, some people might object to the mechanics, which are very much like original Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, some people might say this, this doesn't feel like the Tecamel. I know I wouldn't worry about that at all. Uh, there's enough there to get going. And in fact, we know from talking to people that that's where many people got their start. Mm -hmm. Um, if you wanted something with some updated mechanics, uh, you could go to, uh, pick up a copy of Baythorn and play that. Uh, and I think that that would work well too. A lot of the material from Baythorn, uh, and Jeff D freely adapted from, you know, the existing source material. I think that's great. Um, if you were just playing a convention game, uh, you could pick up Brett Slocum's The Pedal Hack, uh, which is a, a really quick uh, sort of convention event level intro to uh, Takamo. I should note The Pedal Hack is unofficial, mm -hmm. it's, uh, but Brett uh, is a longtime Takamo fan and I. Uh, runs uh, a TechML fan site and, they, and uh, you know, maintains a lot of other things related to TechML as a fan. And uh, so, you know, the pedal hack is another, I think, uh, very accessible way for people to pick it up first. But I think once you've gotten done with a convention event, you'll probably want to go on and get something more. Good. Hopefully they will get everything. Um, actually, talking about everything, what are your plans for for the future, for the Tukumo Foundation, what would you like to happen? Same thing we do every night. Plan to take over the world. Uh, okay. No, wait. No, no, that's Pinky and the Brain. Okay. Uh, I like my answer, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, it's pretty simple. Uh, we'd like to... Um, we'd like to get all of the previous material that we can... Uh, that's out of print, back in print. We And that includes the four other novels that Professor Barker published when he was alive, mm -hmm. you know, got, got published when he was alive, as well as also other game materials. Uh, not all of that is accessible for reasons having to do with, with copyright and, and uh, IP ownership. Um, and that's fine. Um, we'd also like to make material available that was never published that uh, Professor Barker had in his archives. And there's a lot. There's a lot of material. Trust me. Oh, my God. There's a lot. Uh, and we also want to make it available to people in a variety of different um, uh, formats uh, and through several different games. Um, and we've talked with a number of publishers about uh, doing something with that. And so, for example, I hope that sometime in the not-too-distant future, we'll be able to get a 5th edition D&D yeah. uh, TechML setting book available. Uh, I think the one thing that uh, occasionally becomes an issue is that uh, people uh, sometimes have wanted to talk to us about 
uh, being completely exclusive and uh, having complete ownership or as much ownership as they can. And uh, as the foundation, what we're trying to do is to make uh, make it make the world available. And it's not always the case that we can do that in the sort of conventional way that previous licenses have worked. Which is fair enough indeed, I think. Uh, I, I like the idea that you want Tecumel for all and not, not just for one particular company that then may or may not do it justice. So I, I think that makes perfect sense, uh, really. Well, and, and the other part about it is that Tecumel fans will buy pretty much anything that they see as worthwhile for mm -hmm. Tecumel. And if we do our job right as the foundation, everything that gets produced is going to be worthwhile. And so, you know, some uh, someone might say, well, no, no, you know, if it's exclusive, then we know it's official. And we can say, no, you can, you can use all of this stuff. Ah, but that brings up an interesting point that's worth noting. And that is, we've got three levels of, how would one put this, canonicity, right. to coin a term. Um, the world of Tecumel could be described in the following ways for this purpose. That is, there is official Tecumel, which is anything that was written by Professor Barker uh, when he was alive or was approved by Professor Barker when he was alive. Okay. Then there is approved for Tecumel. Right. You know, we're, we're not so arrogant as to think that, you know, we can say that something is, is official. Uh, but as a board made up of Professor Barker's former players and people who've had, you know, I think we've got well over a century of experience. Uh, no, it's actually way more than that. Uh, between the, the members of the board with the world of Tecumel, what we can say is, yes, this feels enough like Tecumel in our own experience, in our collective judgment, that we can say that we can approve that for Tecumel. And then there is fan publication, okay? And there's fans out there who get Tecumel as well, you know? So, you know, Brett Slocum, James Maliszewski, and others, uh, they get it. And so when they produce material and make it available for people, um, it's, uh, it may not be official, it may not be approved for, uh, but yes, uh, it's a way of making Tecumel your own. And that's what we want to encourage people to do, is don't try to slavishly imitate exactly what Professor Barker did, because there's just no way you can do that. Uh, and Professor Barker didn't want you to do it in the first place. What he wanted to do, wanted you to do was, and he said this, was to, once you have gotten a hold of his Tecumel, go and make it your Tecumel. And that was entirely natural. And it's even accounted for in how Professor Barker thought of Tecumel. There is a myriad leaves on the tree of time. So if your campaign is at variance at some point with Professor Barker's, great, that, that skein of reality exists somewhere. Uh, and that's good. That's the way it should be. I, I agree. And that, that shows a great deal of, um, of, of maturity as a creator from the point of view of Professor Barker. And also the setting itself, because obviously he's, he was not 
scared that people may be adding something that uh, wouldn't fit. You know, he was happy to say, well, make it your own. That's cool. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and for that, that means that uh, when people are running their own games, yeah, go out change things uh one of the decisions that i made for example in my own house campaign that i run now uh i have uh four players and they've been playing for just over a year and what they've been experiencing is tecamel as, as i understand it and they love it uh, that's great uh but what i decided to do early on was i said I'm going to look at all the things that were done by player characters in Professor Barker's campaign, and I'm not going to have that happen here. Or more specifically, I'm not going to assume that those things took place, right? And so when I look back at some of the dispatches uh, that were written uh, about what was going on on Tecamel, I can look at them and say, Oh, that one there. That was the result of player characters doing something. Okay. That may or may not have happened. Or maybe it didn't. Or maybe my characters will go, you know, my players will go out and find that. Uh, but I'm not going to assume that my campaign is going to work out just exactly the way the Professor Barker's did. And that way, I'm preserving some of the mystery of the world for them to figure out. And if that means that the world ends up being different, great. I'm looking forward to exploring it. That sounds that sounds very, very good indeed to me, sir. Uh, right, um, Jason, thank you uh, very much for, for answering that. Now, um, you, you've been doing really well on doing this, you know, uh, rhetoric exercise of answering the questions. So I think we're going to wind down now a little bit with, uh, with, with a few more questions, you know, just to just to put your mind at, at rest and at ease. Uh, for, for, for this episode. So I'm, go I'm going to ask you a few um, fairly complex but completely open questions and see, see what comes out of your mind. Sure. Right. First question. What is the best advice that no one has ever given you? The best advice? You mean about gaming or just... Whatever you think the question means, Whatever. that is the best advice that no one has ever given you. The best advice that no one has ever given me, and maybe I'm just misremembering, uh, would be to slow down and appreciate the amazing things that go on every day that we sometimes just speed right on by. Okay, that's on sound advice that someone should have given you. Now, um, what is the best mistake you've ever made? The best mistake that I have ever made? Um, goodness. Oh, I, I'm not sure. I, I think the best mistake that I have ever made would probably have been uh, getting involved in running science fiction conventions, which I did for a very, very long time. Okay. And I wouldn't say necessarily that it was a complete mistake. I may not have necessarily recognized when I should have stopped. But 
I've gotten to know an amazing number of people. I've learned a tremendous amount. I've developed a whole bunch of professional skills. And for those people who know me, uh, they may be a little bit surprised when I say, and I'm done with that now. Uh, I, for about 20, 25 years, I helped run science fiction conventions in the uh, center of the United States. And, uh, and now I'm just... Mm, I am glad to have done it, but I am definitely done. Okay. Now, um, last question. You have a time machine. So you go back in time, meet your 10-year-old self, and you say to your 10-year-old self, do not do this. What is this? Think you know everything. Okay. <laughs> I think it's a it's a it's a terrible problem, particularly for people who end up being academics. That uh, we end up thinking far too often that we know more than we actually do. If we went into the world with a well, I don't know if I if I'm so sure about myself that way, and and maybe I I should pay attention more to the questions people are asking and 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 thinking twice about stuff. I I might actually do better. Uh, alas. Far too many of us who have gone on to have academic lives uh, uh, end up very unselfconsciously knowing, uh, thinking that we know way too much. Which is, and we're it's just wrong. <laughs> it, it it happens. We we forgive you because you're you're nice. Uh, Jason, uh, thank you, thank you very much indeed for being with me today uh, and for bringing us a little bit closer to to the world of of Tecumel, which is one that I really think should have a great deal more recognition than, than it actually does. I think people should know more, should know better and more often about about Tecumel than, than they actually do. So I hope this will help a tiny, tiny little bit. I, I will have one last thing that I would like to share with everyone. That is, I have mentioned many of the people who have been involved in making TechML available again, and I have inevitably left some people out. And I want to apologize to them for not having remembered them uh, when we've been talking. So there you go. Uh, well, I'm sure they understand, and they can always tell us who they are, and uh, we'll have them on the show. That sounds great. And we'll have another, another chat about it. And that, that would be good fun. Yeah. And I'm always happy to come back and uh, explain in too much detail more aspects about the world of Zekmo. That, sir, I, I thank you for that, and you will be back hopefully very, very soon indeed. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, I sincerely hope that this setting will see Day of Light again, not just as an OSR, but as many, many licenses as possible. It would be really cool to see this come to fruition and, uh, you know, bring Dr. Barker's legacy back from, you know, ostracism to mainstream again. Well, mainstream RPGs, mainstream as RPGs can possibly be. So uh, please do take a look at their website. The link is in the show notes. Uh, let me know what you think. It would be really cool if, if you got hooked to this setting. 
thank you very much indeed for listening. Uh, please remember, you can always get hold of me in Twitter. I am at GMS Magazine. By all means, do feel free to find me in Facebook and YouTube, Google Plus for as long as it lasts, MeWe, etc., etc. And uh, I I look forward to hearing from you. Actually, also email us podcast at gmsmagazine.com. And if you want to be in the podcast, if you are part of the RPG community or industry and you would like to have your voice heard, by all means, do get in touch. I'd love to have you around. love to hear what you have to say. And uh, have some fun podcasting. Intro music is Astral Doors, London Caves, and the outro music, I have no idea. It's from a very old video game called Omega Boost, and I'd love you to tell me if possible, and you know who the author of this song is, because I have been listening to it for decades, and I totally, totally love it. But until next time, thank you once again for being there. I'll talk to you very soon.